Welcome back. Once again, Proclaiming the One. This is Pastor Clint Poppy. Along with me is Pastor Adam Oline and Vicar Daniel Golden. We are privileged to serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Each week we sit down and take a look at the readings for the upcoming Sunday in the church here. We are in the season of Epiphany. January 6th is Epiphany, and we generally celebrate Epiphany, the closest Sunday to that particular date. We had an opportunity this past week to celebrate Epiphany on Sunday, and again on Wednesday. The first Sunday after Epiphany is rarely observed or celebrated in the church here because it is replaced with the readings that we're going to be looking at today. And those are the readings for the baptism of our Lord. There are a couple of different places historically in the church calendar where the baptism of our Lord has been placed, uh, tucked away, uh, whatever. And for for many years now, the baptism of our Lord is connected with the season of Epiphany. Pastor, uh, any comments about the placing of the baptism of our Lord celebration and observation at this particular part in the church year as opposed to other places in the church year? Well, uh, I think from a theological perspective, it's a positive thing because uh, the whole season of Epiphany, uh, what it, what it's about is revealing who Jesus is to let the reality of Christ, uh, God in human flesh, shine forth. And the baptism of our Lord Jesus does that to a certain extent. It teaches us who Jesus is. We have the voice from heaven that uh, declares directly to us that uh, Jesus is God's own Son. Uh, I think also, maybe even from a time timing perspective, it helps us to think about baptism not long after the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ as a reminder to all of our parents and uh, um, people in different congregations that baptism is an important thing to do for your child right away after their birth, uh, soon when they're young, so that they might uh, receive all of God's gifts of grace, mercy, and forgiveness as soon as possible and be brought into the faith through the waters of baptism. Yeah, I, I like that last part of what you said. Well, I, mean, I like everything you said, but I especially like the last part of what you said because we we have also had some uh, baby Jesus coming into the temple kind of stuff with the circumcision of our Lord Jesus, with the presentation of our Lord Jesus, all of these things to fulfill the law. And so we have the baby Jesus coming into the temple, and now we have Jesus who's no longer a baby, he's 30 years old, with this uh, baptism connection, and all of those things kind of coming together, I, I really like that, uh, that observation. And uh, th- there, are still, there are still some churches that observe the baptism of our Lord um, 
during the season of Lent. And, uh, you know, I think, I think you can probably make a good, a good case or a good argument for that. This is by human arrangement. And mm-hmm. we know that Jesus is baptized. We know that uh, God declares him to be his son. Some would say that uh, this is his ordination into the office of the holy ministry. And so regardless of where we place it in the church year, uh, I think it's a, a great observation to, uh, to commemorate, and uh, it is a great day in the church year. So, Vicar, without further ado, we have before us the Matthew account of the baptism of our Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew 3, 13 to 17. You want to share those words with our listeners? Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. All right, there you have it, short and sweet. And we have, we have several uh, connections. Uh, I couldn't help, as Vicar was reading that, I couldn't help but, but think about uh, Mark chapter 1. And uh, there, there are many, many uh, very, very close connections with regard to the Mark recording of the baptism of Jesus and the Matthew recording of the baptism of Jesus. After all, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are the synoptic gospels, which means they are to be read together. But in the in the gospel of Mark, a lot of times you have this immediately, immediately, immediately emphasis going on. And you see it once in a while in Matthew as well, and this is one of those places. It is, uh, it is a very dramatic picture where we have the heavens opened to him. And I know in Mark, it is this, uh, this very special word about how the, uh, the heavens are like violently ripped open. And uh, then that same word is used with the tearing of the temple curtain. Um, which which uh, <clears throat> tradition holds was embroidered with images of the heavens upon it. So it is sort of the same sort of yeah. thing taking place. Yeah. So that's so we have we have all these connections. And as Vicar was reading these words, I just had all these things popping into my head. And uh, I think that's the beauty of studying God's Word, immersing yourself in God's Word. This is the Holy Spirit at work, bringing to mind these things that you have read, that you have studied, that you have learned. Um, Pastor, give us some context. What is happening in the Gospel of Matthew? We've We've had a lot of Matthew already in our very, very young church year here. Um, in Matthew 1, we have the angel coming and visiting Joseph and telling him not to be afraid to take Mary home as his wife. 
in Matthew 2, we have the uh, slaughter or the visit of the Magi. We have the slaughter of the innocents. And now, I mean, we got Jesus as a baby, Jesus in Egypt. Um, and now all of a sudden here in Matthew 3, we have Jesus as 30 years old. Um, man, it seems like a lot of stuff is happening quick here. Well, I mean, it is, and I think that's just a reality of ancient writing, is that um, the the, play, the play, way they wrote things down was on papyrus. It was expensive. Uh, it wasn't easy to make, and so you wanted to make sure you got to the main points and the important parts. And so the birth of Christ is very important, and uh, the ministry of Christ and the death of Christ is very important. But um, the things that happen in between there, I don't want to say they're not important. It's the life of Jesus, of course, but they're not as important as uh, these other things. And so we kind of go right from his childhood to his ministry because that's where our salvation is delivered and talked about. And, um, and so that's what we'll focus on. So in Matthew chapter 3, where it says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to, to the Jordan uh, to John to be baptized by John. Um, how, how, did, how did Jesus get to Galilee? What's going on there? Well, um, the town of Nazareth that Jesus grew up in, which is where we left uh, Jesus in the end of Matthew chapter 2, is is located north uh, in Galilee. It is to the uh, southwest of the Sea of Galilee. It's just a little tiny podunk town close to the uh, larger, more pagan town of Sepphoris, uh, which is uh, had a Roman theater and uh, more of the Roman sort of... Uh, uh, city layout. And Nazareth is just a small town. In fact, today it's all underneath one church. Cave homes, um, not a whole lot going on there. And that's where Jesus grew up kind of in obscurity in that way. And so we have uh, the age of 30 that Jesus walks down uh, to Bethany uh, to the place where John the Baptist was preaching, and perhaps this is Bethabara, which is on the uh, eastern side of the Jordan River across from Jericho, um, which would really be a neat place if it was close to where Jericho was because it would be very close to where the children of Israel crossed the Jordan River and entered into the Promised Land. And so uh, Jesus comes down here and is baptized by John, as we just heard in our Gospel reading. Okay, so... Uh, at the end of Matthew 2, Jesus ends up in Nazareth. Mm -hmm. And then at the beginning, the first 12 verses of Matthew 3, it's all about John the Baptist. Yes. And so it's setting the stage for this um, Jesus and John the Baptist coming together, which is exactly what we have here in the text. Why is it uh, somewhat shocking that uh, John the Baptist would be baptizing Jesus in light of these first 12 verses in Matthew 3. Why is, G why is John baptizing to begin with? What, uh, what is his purpose or mission or whatever? What's he doing out there? Well, John is out there preparing the way for Jesus Christ to point people not to himself, but instead to uh, his Lord. And so he's been preaching and talking, and right before our gospel lesson, he says, I baptize you with water for repentance, but the one coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. 
We even have this judgment talk here. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the shaft he will burn with unquenchable fire. This great judgment picture of Christ's coming as judgment of the world. And so John says he's not worthy. Uh, John says Jesus is mightier than him. And now uh, Christ asks John to baptize him. And John is a little confused by that because he thinks it ought to be the other way around as as well it should. Uh, And so Jesus definitely answers this. He says, we're doing this to fulfill all righteousness. In other words, uh, this is what is necessary. This is how God has ordained it. And so this is how we're going to do it. John thought it should be the other way around because John is well aware of his sin. And he is also well aware of who Jesus is, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We have that recorded for us in John chapter 1. And when we come back from our break, that's what we want to take a look at. Uh, How does the baptism of Jesus fulfill all righteousness? How does the baptism of Jesus fit in with the ministry of John the Baptist, which is a ministry of judgment, calling people to repentance? How in the world can we make sense out of the fact that the sinless Son of God, God in the flesh, Jesus Christ, the one who was born without sin, the one who commits no sin, that Jesus... um, demands, requires to be baptized by John in the Jordan. This is, uh, this is somewhat confusing and a bit of a conundrum for a lot of people, and we want to try to make some sense of that. This is Proclaiming the One. We're looking at the readings for the baptism of our Lord. We need to take a short break. Don't change that dial. Listening to KNNA LP 95.7 FM Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome once again to Proclaiming the One. We're looking at the readings for the baptism of our Lord, and what you heard is our bumper music coming in and out is a, is a great, maybe not well-known, but a great Luther hymn, To Jordan Came the Christ Our Lord. That's exactly what we're talking about here. And today, as we observe the baptism of our Lord, look at the readings for the, uh, this upcoming Sunday, we want to talk about why this is such a big deal that Jesus is baptized in the Jordan by John the Baptist. In our uh, first part, we did some introductory things talking about the place of the baptism of our Lord in the liturgical year, the liturgical calendar. We talked about some of the things coming uh, before this section, Matthew three thirteen to 17. We have Jesus coming to Galilee, uh, coming from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John, and John would have prevented him. 
John 3.14, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? What can we learn just from that verse, Pastor? What can we learn about what, what John knew about himself and what John knew about the person and work of Jesus? Well, um, John knows that he's not the important one. John understands that, and his job is always to point people and uh, others to Christ. And so even here, that's what he wants to do. He says, I'm not the important one. You are, Lord. Shouldn't you be baptizing me? You're the God. Uh, You're the important one. And John, therefore, is being a faithful pastor in that way. A pastor ought never point to himself or think too highly of himself. He always ought to be leading his people to Christ, getting out of the way of Jesus so that people have faith in the true God. Um, and, And so John is struggling with that because that's what he thinks ought to be happening here. He ought to receive the blessings of Jesus, not uh, give something to our Lord. And I think it's telling, too, that John is uh, a bit confused here because even though he knows his own sinfulness and even though he knows that Jesus is God in the flesh, the promised one, the Messiah, he's a little bit confused or mixed up with regard to what it means that Jesus is the Messiah, how Jesus is going to fulfill all righteousness, how um, the blessings that God has promised for centuries through this Messiah is going to be delivered to the people. And I think, I think this whole account here is very, very telling in that respect. Jesus says, um, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Vicar, what do you think's going on here? Um, how does the baptism of Jesus fulfill all righteousness? Well, it fulfills the baptism the theology of baptism is replacing the covenant of uh circumcision circumcision in that there's we now have a promise for all that the messiah is actually here okay uh pastor uh, vicar brings up a good point you know we we just celebrated in our church here the circumcision of our lord the uh, first drops of blood shed by jesus fulfilling the law circumcised on the eighth day And uh, we have many words of Scripture, especially in the book of Colossians, that talks about how the uh, covenant or the sacrament of circumcision is now fulfilled or swallowed up in God's gift of holy baptism. Um, This fulfilling all righteousness and connection between circumcision and baptism. Comments? Well, um yeah, there's definitely a connection there, and I think important in what Jesus says is let it be so for now, uh, indicating that there's something more coming on later uh, that'll be important, and that's when Christ is baptized uh, by the baptism of death upon the cross, which is really where uh, forgiveness, life, and salvation is one, uh, and then able to be delivered uh, accordingly. I think also important to point out is that these are the very first words that Jesus speaks in the Gospel of Matthew, and it's talking then about fulfilling all righteousness, indicating to us what Christ's 
job is, in fact, is to fulfill all righteousness. And he does that by living a perfect life, including being baptized uh, to fulfill the law of God. Um, And he lives that perfect life. He is arrested, uh, accused, and killed, and dies and rises again. And all the things that he's going to do from this point forward in the Gospel of Matthew until the very end is to fulfill all righteousness. And it's at that point at the end, then, that he says, when you go, therefore, make disciples by baptizing and teaching them all that I have commanded you, which would include the words of institution and the Lord's Supper and all doctrine. Uh, and surely I am with you always until the end of the age. And so from this point until the death of Christ, he is fulfilling all righteousness. And even to his resurrection, he's fulfilling all righteousness. And then uh, the church is born out of what Christ has accomplished. Okay, so I'm going to ask a, a, a question that's going to take us back to some of your answer, but I want to make it very, very clear. John's baptism is a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. If Jesus is God in the flesh and Jesus is not a sinner, why is Jesus being baptized? He's being baptized um, in to fulfill what God demands of people and even to be in our place and in our shoes uh, to to be a person just like we're a person under the law uh, for us and for our forgiveness. And so, uh, in a way, uh, Christ is actually the greatest sinner that there ever has been because he bears your sin and Vicar's sin and the sin of the entire world upon his own shoulders. And so uh, in, in that way, uh, he is under the law and he is being baptized as a result of that. Not, it's not the same f- a baptism that we have, and yet it is indicating for us what we ought to do as Christians living a life following Christ. The, uh, the reference there that comes to my mind with regard to Jesus being the greatest sinner is Second uh, Corinthians 5. He who knew no sin became sin for us. And uh, this, is, this is a tremendous mystery, how he stands at one and with one representing all of humanity in that baptism. And I've heard some people say that uh, the baptism of Jesus is uh, kind of like Jesus is a giant sponge soaking up all the sins of the world into himself as he prepares to go to the cross. And and as he's standing in our place there in the waters of holy baptism here, fulfilling the law, God says, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. And now that we have been baptized and clothed with Christ and his righteousness, now those words apply to us. <clears throat> we are God's children with whom he is well pleased, not because of the things that we've done uh, or not done, but rather because we look like Jesus to God, because in our baptism, we've been washed with God. And uh, I think that's important. While this text is teaching us the identity of Jesus, in our baptism, we have a new identity in Christ as we are baptized into the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I think that connection uh, is a good one. That's why we sing the hymn, God's Own Child, I Gladly Say It, I Am Baptized Into Christ. A couple of things in the time that we have left in this section, Pastor. First of all, uh, in our very first section, we alluded to the fact with regard to the heavens being torn open. 
that word picture about the heavens being open to him or torn open and the connection there between the events of Good Friday. Well, uh, it's, it's Mark's gospel that says that they're ripped open uh, in the same way that the temple curtain is ripped open. And um, we also then have the idea that um, the heavens above are the same thing between us and God, uh, the curtain that separates us from God's holiness. And so this is always a big topic of the entire Old Testament, this idea of levels of holiness and et cetera. And uh, God, of course, being the, the chief level of holiness. And so we see here in baptism that that is, the heavens are opened and that God is now accessible to mankind, that uh, his word is delivered directly to mankind, that he bestows the Holy Spirit directly upon mankind. He does that first in Jesus, and now he does it also for us uh, in the waters of holy baptism, and then also in his word uh, and in the Lord's Supper. And so the things that separated us before, the clouds, uh, the, uh, the lightning, the thunder, the, the things that we were terrified of, are no more now that Jesus is fulfilling all righteousness for us, and God sees us as holy because of what Christ has accomplished. And so that's kind of a neat thing that's happening also. Okay, the, uh, the barriers have been torn down by the perfect life, obedient death, and glorious resurrection of Jesus, and here we see this... Uh, physically as the heavens are torn open and it gives us an illusion or uh, an impression an illustration of what's going to happen uh later on at good friday and also as the heavens are torn open when jesus comes back again in power might and glory that's what john the baptist is talking about in the verses just before our text about this judgment of Christ, the winnowing fork is already in his hand, all of that stuff. I, th I think also that there's a connection here with even like the death of Stephen and the martyrdom of Stephen where heaven is open and really all of our baptisms are a martyrdom in one way or another as far as the world is concerned and that's our connection then to Christ. I like that. I like that. Um, one, uh, one more thing, Pastor. Uh, when the heavens are opened... Something happens. The heavens are opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. What are we to make of the descending of the Holy Spirit at the time of Jesus' baptism and the Holy Spirit appearing in the form of a dove? Well, um, the form of a dove is, is a symbol from the Old Testament that's very important, that is uh, one of peace and also one of joy and God um, granting forgiveness. We see this in things like the, uh, the end of the flood where the uh, dove brings back the, the olive branch in his mouth, uh, etc. And so we see the Holy Spirit descending like a dove upon Christ and resting on him, giving him, um, not that he didn't already have it, but indicating to us that he has the authority to speak a word directly from God with authority, uh, not just in the way anybody else did. And we see this later on in the gospel when everyone is amazed at Christ because he speaks as one who has authority, not as the other teachers of the law do. He has this authority because he is God's Son, and the Holy Spirit is there attached to whatever word that he speaks and preaches. And in fact, as the Holy Spirit descends here, it's attached to this word, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. So even there, the Holy Spirit always, always, always is attached to God's word, and um, that's really important for us as Lutherans here and now.
you made the comment before about uh, those words apply to us in our baptism. Uh, this is my beloved child, my beloved son or daughter with whom I am well pleased. Can we say that then there is an outpouring of the Holy Spirit for everyone as they are baptism uh, as they are baptized? I think we can say that, and we do say that. In fact, um, what is baptism? It's not just plain water, but it is the Word of God connected to that water and included in God's command that makes it a baptism. And so it's not the water part that is the important part. It is the Word part. And wherever Word and water is together, that's a baptism. Amen, amen, amen. We need to take a short break. This is Proclaiming the One. We're looking at the readings for the baptism of our Lord. When we come back, we're going to take a look at a wonderful narrative from Joshua chapter 3. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNA. LP 95.7 FM Lincoln, Nebraska. Your water freely flowing, God's Holy Spirit here above, our kinship while bestowing the baptism of His blessing. Welcome back to Proclaiming One, Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Moline, Vicar Daniel Golden. We are privileged to serve the saints. Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Come join us for worship. We're in South Lincoln, just north of 40th and Old Cheney, 3825 Wildbriar Lane. We gather each Sunday at 8 and 1030 with Sunday School for All Ages in between. Wednesday evening, year-round at 630. Please join us and hear these lessons preached and taught and expounded to you in the context of one of our prayer services or on uh, Sunday and generally on Wednesday nights during one of our divine services. Every one of our worship services of Good Shepherd is broadcast live on KNNALP 95.7, so you can listen to us there. If you're outside of our listening area, just download the app or go to our website, thecross957.org, check out the archives, give us some feedback, and uh, we always, always, always love to hear from you. The Old Testament reading for the baptism of our Lord Joshua chapter 3, and uh, because it's a long narrative and a long chapter, and there's only so much our, our ears and our seats can handle, it's chopped up just a little bit for us in our pericope here. So, Vicar, uh, we have before us Joshua 3, 1 to 3, 7 and 8, 13 to 17. Do you want to share those words, please? Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim. And they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that, as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant. When you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the Ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, 
shall rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest, the waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan, and those flowing down toward the Sea of Arabah, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off. And the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests, bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. We have a, uh, we have a marvelous miracle here in Joshua chapter 3. And, Pastor, I don't know what your experience has been. My experience has been when we read this text in the worship service on Sunday morning, a lot of our people are like, man, I didn't know that was in the Bible. I mean, this is, this is an amazing miracle that very, very few people know about. Uh, it may or may not achieve Sunday school lesson status uh, because it pales in comparison to Moses and the children of Israel crossing over um, into the promised land through the Red Sea. And so uh, what's your experience with regard to that? Well, I like to talk about this one a lot, So, um, especially because this is uh, the people of Israel entering into the promised land by passing through water, and so it does have such great baptismal connotations. And geographically speaking, it probably is the same location that Jesus is going to be baptized later. Um, we have um, this place, Beth Abara, which is probably the same place as uh, we just talked about that they stayed before they passed into the uh, the waters and crossed over. It is opposite of Jericho. And so there's all these in interesting connections to the New Testament that make it important for us to learn. And yet people don't know about it, but they ought to because it signifies um, so much for us as Christians. And it is connecting all the dots together that have come before it in the, the Old Testament. Um, and so, yeah, it's good we study it. It is, uh, it is a major miracle of significance that is referred to repeatedly in the Old Testament. And so I think it is to our shame in the New Testament church that we don't teach it and preach it as much as we could or as much as we should. During, and, the, during the break, I was pointing out that Isaiah 43, uh, verse 2 or 3, makes a reference or allusion to this particular miracle here, too. So it's all over in the Scriptures. We just, for some reason, don't emphasize it as much. And, and uh, you know, it, it is such a great thing because we enter into our promised land through the waters of holy baptism. That's how we become citizens of heaven. Uh, now, but not yet, of course. And we do kind of sort of talk about it in a way uh, with the baptismal prayer that we do in our baptismal rite, um, where we talk about the baptism of our Lord and the crossing the Red Sea and the Ark. And all of these things uh, are just, this is just one more example of that same thing, where people pass through water to enter into God's promises. And 
that's what Christians do, and that's why baptism is so very important to us. We have something going on here. Uh, the mantle has been cast uh, quite literally from Moses, who is now dead and buried on top of Mount Nebo, and Joshua is the man. And we have we have some questions of you know the authority of Joshua. Are the people really going to follow Joshua? They followed Moses for the most part, and so God is going to great. Uh, links to show to the people that Joshua is God's chosen instrument. Joshua is now the one who is to lead the children of Israel into the promised land. And in case anybody wonders, Moses had a big miracle. And so now Joshua's got to have a big miracle. This is how sometimes people think when they look at this text. Pastor, this really isn't about Moses doing a big miracle, and now Joshua needs to do something comparable so the people think of Moses and go, oh, he's the, he's the pinch hitter, the substitute pitcher. Um, who's the one doing the miracles, and for whose sake are these miracles taking place? Well, uh, God is always the one doing miracles, and it is for the sake of the people that they might understand who God is more so than Joshua. Uh, in fact, God has also told Joshua, be strong and courageous uh, before this with his word to uh, uh, strengthen Joshua and his faith. And so once again, God is giving gifts. And I think even more important than even this discussion about Joshua is uh, what's happening on either side of this particular scriptural account in the book of Joshua, where the spies have gone into Jericho and they've been kept safe by Rahab and hidden from the people uh, who were seeking to kill them by Rahab. And the promise is made to Rahab that you will uh, not be killed when we come and conquer Jericho by letting out this scarlet cord out your window. God will keep you safe. And why is this all very important? Well, Rahab happens to be in the lineage of an important guy that we uh, are talking about, and that guy's Jesus. Uh, and so since Jesus is descended from Rahab, uh, at least uh, uh, through David and whatnot, uh, this is very important in the life and narrative of Jesus. This is uh, how he comes into existence, if you will. And so all these events ultimately end up being about our Lord and Savior Jesus. It's, uh, it's amazing. We see all of these parallels here in the first part of Joshua with Moses. And it's clear that God wants the children of Israel to listen to the word of God, whether it comes out of Moses' mouth or whether it comes out of Joshua's mouth. And God doing the doing for the sake of the people. And we're going to see this throughout the book of Joshua, when the walls of Jericho come tumbling down. And, uh, you know, we're going to see victory after victory where uh, as the people hear the word of God, listen to the word of God, believe the word of God, God is present with them. We have here in our, um, in our text a lot of details that we could talk about, but I think we've hit, we've hit the biggies here. What is the significance of, of the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant. We've got all this Ark of the Covenant talk, and when the soles of their feet hit the water, because they're carrying the Ark of the Covenant, the water stops. 
What's the big deal about the Ark of the Covenant? The Ark of the Covenant is the physical manifestation of God amongst the people of Israel. Uh, it's a gold box with two angels on the top, and the angels' wings come together over the top, and in between their wings on top of the box at the mercy seat is the place where God dwelt amongst those people. Uh, it's always covered and hidden from their eyes by the tent of the uh, uh, the covenant, which folded up on top of the Ark. And so you can see God's physical manifestation here uh, in the ark and the priest's feet touch the water and the water stops. And this then leads us back to the baptism of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is also the visible manifestation of people, uh, of God amongst the people, hidden not in a tent, but instead in human flesh. And uh, his souls hit the feet of the water. And uh, for us then in our baptisms, death stops and, uh, and the destruction that oftentimes comes from the flood of water is no longer harming or hurting us, but rather we're kept safe. This is happening during the flood season of the Jordan River, and and so we have all these things, these connections that we can put together where we see how this is prefiguring Christ's own baptism. It's uh, it's interesting that we have that little parenthetical statement here about how this is flood season, uh, as if stopping the waters of a river aren't a big enough miracle anyway. God doesn't want you to think, well, you know, maybe it was like dry season and, and they were able to divert it and this wasn't such a big deal. I mean, we're at flood stage here, folks. This is this is God at work. Only God, and we see this throughout the book of Joshua, only God can do this kind of a God miracle. And it, and it adds to the um, amazement of it because, you know, the Jordan River today isn't really that impressive if you you know you can go and you could wait across it no problem but at flood stage uh, back then when it's not controlled by uh, dams and things like that uh, this is a big deal and it's not the time of year when people normally would cross and so for uh, the pagan people living in Jericho and across there they they felt they were protected by the river uh, but that won't stop God from accomplishing what he wish, wishes. And what's the main thing that he wishes, as we talked about before? What's bookending this? What's this all about? Jesus. And so why does God bring the people into Israel? Because this is where Christ is going to be raised up and born and live and do his preaching and teaching. And so God won't let that uh, flood water stop that. Once again, it's all about Jesus. You know, the Salt Creek isn't all that impressive either, but when it's at flood stage, it can take life. It really can. Um, it's amazing. We have the Ark of the Covenant, which is the real presence of God among the people. It points forward to Jesus, God in the flesh, the real presence of God among the people. Jesus is ascended and sits at the right hand of the Father, and in his word and sacrament, he is really present among the people. Kind of an M.O. there, don't you think? We need to take a short break. This is the uh, baptism of our Lord readings, proclaiming the one. When we come back, we want to take a look at our epistle reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNA. LP 95.7 FM Lincoln, Nebraska.
to Jordan came the Christ our Lord. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Pastor Clint Poppy, Pastor Adam Oline, Vicar Daniel Golden. We're looking at the readings for the baptism of our Lord. As our bumper music, we've had that awesome hymn by Luther. You may not be familiar with it. Go check it out on the internet or on YouTube. Uh, LSB 405 will be singing it this week during our worship services, and we pray that God would bless you as you dwell and contemplate on the baptism of our Lord. Uh, in our first two segments, we looked at that gospel reading from Matthew 3, 13 to 17. In our third segment, we looked at kind of a prefiguring of the baptism of Jesus as we have the crossing with Joshua, the children of Israel, crossing of the River Jordan into the Promised Land, a marvelous, marvelous picture of God's deliverance for us from captivity, from wandering into the Promised Land through the waters of holy baptism. And now, in our last segment, we're going to take a look at the epistle reading from 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And... This is, you know, it, it's always interesting to me. We have the primary reading of the day, which is the gospel reading. We have the Old Testament reading, which is connected to or supports that gospel reading. And especially in uh, LSB One Year Series, the epistle reading is a practical application of everything that we've learned. Now, in the past with Proclaiming One, we haven't always made it to the epistle readings, and so we're having really some fun this year uh, with these uh, part four of our segments as we're applying this, and this is really, really a fun one. Vicar, 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 31. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards, not many were powerful, not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. Judge, God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, whom God made our wisdom and our righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, whom God made our wisdom and our righteousness, and our sanctification, and our redemption. That's pretty all-encompassing there. That pretty well sums up all that God has done for us and all of the Christian life. Uh, that's where we want to go. But I want to start a little bit before that. Consider your calling, brothers. Now, I suppose in um, today's terms, today's vernacular, we might say, consider your vocation. Consider your calling. Consider your vocation. What is Paul talking about here, Pastor, with regard to consider your calling or vocation? Well, uh, the word in the Greek is kleson, 
uh, or klesis, which is uh, just whatever you've been called to do in your life. What, what station in life has God placed you is the way that we say it in the catechism. Which is very, um, very closely connected <clears throat> to the Latin word uh, voco or vaco, uh, which is I call, where we get our word vocation. Okay. Right, right. And so... Uh, who are you is really kind of the question, you know, the, the, um, who are you in terms of your family? Are you a father? Are you a mother? Who are you in terms of your job? Are you a butcher or baker or candlestick maker? Who are you in terms of church? Are you a hearer or a speaker? Um, who are you is the, the question. What, what are you called to do? And Paul says, not many of you are really anything, right? Um, <laughs> Thanks a lot, and, Paul. <laughs> and well, he's speaking the truth, and of the, course he he's is. he's right, right? How many of the people that he's talking to do you know the name of, Pastor Poppy? None. Um, and let's just be completely honest about ourselves here. In two hundred years, how many people will know your name? Uh, clearly taught in the book of Ecclesiastes, no one will remember my name, unless somebody is named Clint Kevin Poppy the Seventh or something like that. Right, and, and that's the way it will be for pretty much all of us. All of us. And, and if you doubt it, look back at your family. You know, how many of your ancestors uh, do you know from 300 years ago, 400 years ago, especially when you consider how many there actually are? You know, you get that far back in your genealogy, you probably have hundreds of ancestors and you know the names of none of them. And that's who we are then. Uh, we can't boast in ourselves there. We can't look at ourselves according to worldly standards. We can't think about how powerful of noble birth we are. Uh, rather, God chooses what is low and despised. He really chooses nobodies and he makes them important by giving them his gifts. And they are important to him because of what he's declared about them. There's a phrase that is uh, repeated, uh, I think I underlined it four times in 1 Corinthians 1, 26 to 31. God chose, God chose, God chose. We live in a world, Pastor, and uh, uh, this text is about, uh, not, is about not bragging in human accomplishments, but remember that you are called by God. We live in a world where much of Christianity wants to brag about when I chose God, when I decided to follow Jesus, when I prayed the sinner's prayer, when I made the journey down for my altar call or altar calls. We have this reading on the baptism of our Lord. Pastor, am I stretching by applying these truths of Scripture from 1 Corinthians chapter 1 to the way that Christians are sometimes tempted to brag about something that is not their own doing with regard to how God chose us? Well, I think that's uh, what, what he's teaching here, especially uh, the way that it's written in the Greek here. This is in the middle voice. Uh, God himself has chosen. He's the one who's done it. And uh, so he's the one doing the action here uh, that's being carried out by the verb of choosing. He has selected out of all the people you. We have to be careful here. Um, and not become double predestinationists with this, but we need to know that when we are being 
made Christians, it's by God's work, not by our work. He himself is doing what is necessary for our salvation. So we have here a text that is talking about our identity. And God says, if you want to brag about your identity, that's a good thing. Go ahead and do it. But remember whose you are. Remember that your identity is not wrapped up in all of these outward things. Politics, work, family, money. You can name, the list goes on and on and on. All of these things that seem so important. And, you know, before you were talking about, you know, you go back in your genealogy and you try to study all these people and maybe you come up with one or two. I I wonder sometimes how much of the stuff that people study with regard to their ancestry and their genealogy, how much of that is actually true and accurate? Because it's just basically an educated guess. I also think back to, you know, like in ancient Rome, There are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of statues dedicated to important people. And we have no clue who they are. Oh, maybe a handful. We have a name. But we have all these statues of all these people, and they are completely anonymous. We need to remember that we are nothing in the grand scheme of things apart from the fact that God has put his name on us. God makes us special. God gives us an identity. This is my beloved son. This is my beloved daughter with whom I am well pleased. God claiming us in the waters of holy baptism. Pastor. Yeah, and this is why we sing the hymn we've talked about several times. uh, God's own child, gladly I say it, I am baptized into Christ. That's our identity. That's who we are. That's what's most important. uh, And we ought to live that way. Uh, We ought to act that way. We ought to think about that when we're deciding what we're going to do on a Sunday morning and a Wednesday evening. We ought to think about that when we're deciding whether to open up our Bible or watch another episode of The Simpsons or whatever other TV show is on. We ought to think about these things when we're determining how we spend our time, whether um, we're a Christian or not. That's that's the defining factor in our entire life and existence. And uh, to tie into one of your favorite topics, Pastor, when we do come into God's house, remembering who we are and who God is helps us to be reverent and have that attitude that we are here uh, as humble beggars to receive the gifts of God, not that we're doing God a favor by showing up and uh, checking the box off on our to-do list. I think that's a very, very important thing for us. And quite frankly, we need to have that old Adam or old Eve inside of us drowned daily in the waters of holy baptism, put to death to rise up with that new attitude in Christ Jesus. Vicar, would you bring things to a close by praying the collect of the day for the baptism of our Lord? Let us pray. Father in heaven, at the baptism of Jesus in the Jordan River, you proclaimed him your beloved Son and anointed him with the Holy Spirit. Make all who are baptized in his name faithful in their calling as your children and inheritors with him of everlasting life. Through the same Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Amen. 
For Pastor Adam Moline and Vicar Daniel Golden, I am Pastor Clint Poppy. Sunday morning, get up, read your paper, drink your coffee, pray for your pastor, and most of all, go to church. God's richest blessings in Christ. We'll see you again next week.